Part One, Chapter Two of the Secret City. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Secret City by Hugh Walpole. Part One, Chapter Two. They had been traveling for a week and had quite definitely decided that they had nothing whatever in common. As they stood there, lost and desolate, on the grimy platform of the finland station this same thought must have been paramount in their minds thank god we shan't have to talk to one another any longer whatever else may happen in this strange place that at least were spared they were probably quite unconscious of the contrast they presented unconscious because at this time young bowen never i should imagine visualized himself as anything more definite than absolutely right and lawrence simply never thought about himself at all but they were perfectly aware of their mutual dissatisfaction although they were of course absolutely polite i heard of it afterwards from both sides and i will say quite frankly that my sympathy was all with lawrence young bohun can have been no fun as a travelling companion at that time if you had looked at him there standing on the finland station platform and staring haughtily about for porters you must have thought him the most self-satisfied of mortals that fellow wants kicking you would have said good-looking thin tall large black eyes black eyelashes clean and neat and right at the end of his journey as he had been at the beginning of it just foreign-looking enough with his black hair and pallor to make him interesting he was certainly arresting but it was the self-satisfaction that would have struck anyone and he had reason he was at that very moment experiencing the most triumphant moment of his life he was only twenty-three and was already as it seemed to the youthfully limited circle of his vision famous before the war he had been as he quite frankly admitted to myself and all his friends nothing but ambitious of course i edited the granta for a year you would say and i don't think i did it badly but that wasn't very much no it really wasn't a great deal and we couldn't tell him that it was he had always intended however to be a great man the granta was simply a stepping stone he was already during his second year at cambridge casting about as to the best way to penetrate swiftly and securely the fastnesses of london journalism then the war came and he had an impulse of perfectly honest and selfless patriotism not quite selfless perhaps because he certainly saw himself as a mighty hero winning vcs and saving forlorn hopes finally received by his native village under an archway of flags and mottoes the local postmaster who had never treated him very properly would make this speech of welcome the reality did him some good but not very much because when he had been in france only a fortnight he was gassed and sent home with a weak heart his heart remained weak which made him interesting to women and allowed time for his poetry he was given an easy post in the foreign office and in the autumn of nineteen sixteen he published discipline sonnets and poems this appeared at a very fortunate moment when the more serious of british idealists were searching for signs of a general improvement through the stress of war of poor humanity thank god there are our young poets they said the little book had excellent notices in the papers and one poem in special how god spoke to jones at breakfast time 
was selected for a special praise because of its admirable realism and force one paper said that the british breakfast-table lived in that poem in all its tiniest most insignificant details as no breakfast-table save possibly that of major pendennis at the beginning of pendennis had lived before one paper said mr bowen merits that much abused word genius the young author carried these notices about with him and i have seen them all but there was more than this bowen had been for the last four years cultivating russian he had been led into this through a real genuine interest he read the novelists and set himself to learn the russian language that as anyone who has tried it will know it is no easy business but henry bowen was no fool and the russian refugee who taught him was no fool after henry's return from france he continued his lessons by the spring of nineteen sixteen he could read easily write fairly and speak atrociously he then adopted russia an easy thing to do because his supposed mastery of the language gave him a tremendous advantage over his friends i assure you that's not so he would say you can't judge chekhov till you've read him in the original wait till you can read him in russian no i don't think the russian characters are like that he would declare it's a queer thing but you'd almost think i had some russian blood in me i sympathize so he followed closely the books that emphasized the more sentimental side of the russian character being of course grossly sentimental himself at heart he saw russia glittering with fire and color and russians large warm and simple willing to be patronized eagerly confessing their sins rushing forward to make him happy entertaining him forever and ever with a free and glorious hospitality i really think i do understand russia he would say modestly he said it to me when he had been in russia two days then in addition to the success of his poems and the general interest that he himself aroused the final ambition of his young heart was realized the foreign office decided to send him to petrograd to help in the great work of british propaganda he sailed from newcastle on december second nineteen sixteen end of part one chapter two